podcast in our ESG Soundbite series on greenhouse gas reporting. I'm Iessa Gahan, a Managing Associate in the Environment and Climate Change team at Link Linters. And I'm Claire Rogers, a Managing Associate in the same team. Yes, before we go straight into the latest on greenhouse gas reporting requirements, is it worth just taking a step back first and recapping the bigger picture here? Good idea. Thanks, Claire. So we're seeing that increasingly corporates, banks and investors are looking at their own climate transition plans. So these, this is basically their strategy to lower greenhouse gas emissions. Usually the aim is to get to net zero emissions by 2050, but often actually we see corporates and banks and investors setting interim targets along the way, e.g. saying where they want to be by 2025, 2030, 2040, etc. And why are they, why are businesses making these plans? Uh, so there are a number of different reasons. Um, so following the Paris Agreement, several countries have set out their own net zero commitments through their nationally determined contributions. Um, also institutional investors are, are asking to see these transition plans from companies because they're also interested in how those companies are, are going to be transitioning um to to net zero how they fit into those countries net zero ambitions where previously shareholders have requisitioned um climate votes at shareholder meetings actually we're seeing um very recently this year that that companies are proactively going to shareholders with their net zero plans for approval so on a practical level i suppose there's a range of different ways that businesses are looking to implement and achieve these net zero goals so these might include, for example, improving energy efficiency of existing operations, but also where emissions cannot be removed entirely, businesses might look to mitigate emissions. So this could use carbon offsetting or carbon insetting, which is achieving carbon emission reductions either outside or inside of the value chain, or maybe investing money in the research and development of carbon capture and storage technologies. Yes, that's right. I think, in fact, we're we're increasingly being asked about all of these things by clients, and and we'll we'll devote some more time in these areas, such as offsetting and insetting, in future podcasts in this series. Um, I think today we thought it'd be helpful to recap the reporting landscape, um, because actually, if to be able to understand businesses' current positions, to to develop a transition plan and actually implement it, data and reporting is key. So there have been several recent updates on regulation and standards relating to greenhouse gas reporting. What would you say are the main regimes to be aware of? So, so I think there are three um, regimes that, is worth, that are worth talking about today. So there's the SECR, which stands for the Streamlined Energy and Carbon Reporting Regime, which extends the current mandatory carbon reporting regime in the UK to, to large but unlisted companies. There is the ESOS regime, um, which is the Energy Saving Opportunity Scheme, and that focuses on energy and the energy efficiency of companies, um, as evident from the title. Um, and then you also have the TCFD. Um, so, so that stands for the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. Um, and reporting um, in line with these recommendations will become mandatory for premium listed companies. Um, for annual reports issued in respect of their 2021 financial years. Do you think it's worth giving a bit of a high level overview of what each of these different regimes does? Sure. Let's start with the SCCR, 
which, as I mentioned earlier, is the UK streamlined energy and carbon reporting regime. Um, so this isn't a completely new regime. It actually um, came into place in March 2019 and partially replaced the CRC, um, which stands for the Carbon Reduction Commitment Scheme that ended around the same time. So the SCCR applies to quota companies and large unquota companies and LLPs in the UK, and it essentially requires them to report on their energy use, their associated scope one and scope two greenhouse gas emissions and energy efficiency measures. The monitoring of compliance by companies with the SCCR will be performed by the FRC, and it will be interesting to track their enforcement approach to this expanded reporting regime as the years go on. Um, and then secondly, we have the ESOS regime. Yep, so that you've already mentioned is the Energy Savings Opportunity Scheme, which has been in place since 2014. And this one requires large companies to assess their energy efficiency every four years and report their findings to the Environment Agency. How exactly does this work? So the scheme is run in phases. So there are qualification dates, which are set one year before the compliance deadline for each phase. So the compliance deadline for the last phase was actually in December 2019, and the compliance deadline for the next phase, which is phase three, is the 5th of December 2023. Um, this is a scheme that has been in place for a while, but we've recently seen that the Environment Agency is fairly active in, in chasing companies and contacting companies who they think should have reported under the last phase, and actually in, in some cases issuing um, non-compliance notices and fines in the event of non-compliance. And then I think the last um, regime to mention in this section is the TCFD. Yeah, so another acronym, this one, as you've already mentioned, is the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures. I think the key change here is that last November, the UK Chancellor Rishi Sunak announced that UK listed companies will need to make uh, TCFD aligned financial disclosures going forward. Um, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, exactly. Um, Thank you, Claire, for, for pointing that out. It's, it was quite a big announcement at the time. And actually, the important point to flag here is that these disclosures are not simply quantitative. So they're not just about volume of emissions. They actually go much more to business strategy, to governance, risk management, metrics and targets. Um, so for most UK listed companies, they will need to report on this in next year's annual report. And that is on a comply or explain basis. So it's definitely something that that should be considered now. Agreed. And on on a forward looking basis, I guess it's worth flagging as well that Rishi Sunak had gone on to say that the aim is for the UK to be the first country in the world to make TCFD aligned disclosures fully mandatory across the economy by 2025. So the indicative timeline shows this applying first to premium listed companies on a complier explained basis, as you've just mentioned. And then later this year, the FCA will consult on extending the scope to other listed companies. So not just those with a premium listing, and we'll also consider moving from compliant explained to mandatory. At the same time, BASE will be consulting on expanding this to all UK companies more generally. So not just those with a listing at all. Oh, that's that's really interesting. Thanks, Claire. And and TCFD, if, am I correct in thinking it isn't a UK specific regime? Um, so actually, according to the 2020 progress report, there have been over I think 110 regulators and then governmental entities that from around the world that actually support the TCFD, and also central banks and supervisors from across um, the globe have encouraged companies issuing public debt to disclose in line with those recommendations as well. 
Yeah, so I guess having considered three current climate reporting regimes, a key takeaway to me seems to be that their reporting requirements look to be expanding, and that's in a number of ways. We know that the emphasis is on greenhouse gases, which is much broader than CO2 emissions alone. And it also looks like regulators are taking a more sector nuanced and a, a rigorous approach to enforcement. So in terms of direction for travel, where can we see this going next? So I think it's worth touching briefly on scopes um, and the dreaded scope three um, emissions. Uh, so far, reporting requirements have generally focused on scope one and scope two emissions. Uh, scope one relates to direct emissions, i.e. emissions from activities that you own or control. And scope two relates to indirect energy emissions, i.e. emissions released into the atmosphere associated with consumption of purchased electricity, heat, steam and cooling. Um, so, so far, only scope one and scope two are the subject of mandatory um, reporting requirements, or at least existing ones. However, businesses can and are starting to be encouraged to report on their scope three emissions on a voluntary basis. So, a point to note is that the EU Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation has recently kicked in, actually in March of this year. And this will see EU-based investors asking their investee companies for additional disclosures. Um, and by 2023, this is anticipated to include scope three emissions as well. Um, so that's a little bit of the background on, on sort of the potential requirements that may be coming in on scope three. Um, but Claire, what, what do you think disclosing scope three emissions would mean in, in practice? So scope three can be described as other indirect emissions. So again, this is things that are not within the ownership or control of your business, and of course not relating to energy usage, which is in scope two, as you've already touched on. So with scope three, we're looking at emissions from the wider supply chain. So this might be emissions uh, produced in the production of materials that you purchase, or emissions used by your customers when they use the products that you produce. So businesses can be looking at having a huge amount of their overall emissions coming from this scope three category, and it can be really hard to calculate these. And there's a big piece of work that needs to go in around that. It's even harder to reduce them because you're one further step away from the source of these and therefore don't have that level of control that you might have with your scope one emissions, for example. So this is often where we see businesses thinking more broadly about how they can do things to reduce or mitigate these emissions, which might involve things like offsetting or insetting or investing in technologies such as carbon capture that we touched on briefly earlier. So to wrap up, it's clear that there is um, quite a bit of change um, and actually dealing with dealing with this change um, is, is not all straightforward. I think one of the key challenges that we've identified um, and that other sort of corporates and banks have identified as well is around data collection. Um, but what we're finding is that often corporates and banks will work with specialist consultants to help gather the technical data requirements. So that frees up the business to focus on using the data to develop their um, climate strategies, reporting to their stakeholders and also get on with running the business. Agreed. And that sounds like a good point for us to wrap up on. So just say thank you very much for listening. And if you do have any queries about the current or potential future reporting requirements that we've mentioned, or about climate transition strategies more generally, then we'd be very happy to help. So please feel free to get in touch.